This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. This well-known excerpt from the 25th chapter of Matthew, sometimes called the parable of the sheep and the goats, is Jesus' very last teaching in Matthew's Gospel before his betrayal, arrest, trial, and crucifixion. It marks the climax of Jesus' preaching to his followers, and it is the only detailed account of the final judgment offered by Jesus in all of the New Testament. All of which is to suggest that we probably ought to pay close attention to what Jesus is saying. Drawing on the apocalyptic vision from the book of Daniel, in which the Son of Man comes in glory at the end of times to make manifest God's reign, Jesus paints for us a vivid picture of the glorified Son sitting on the throne of judgment. Surrounded by God's angels, the Son of Man then gathers peoples from all the nations before his throne, and one by one divides them into two groups, like a shepherd separating sheep from goats, 
those who are blessed and will inherit the kingdom, and those who are accursed and to be punished. So what distinguishes the sheep from the goats? The key verses are 40 and 45, where Jesus says, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And likewise, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Feeding the hungry, it turns out, is to feed Jesus. Giving water to those who thirst is to quench our Lord's thirst. Welcoming the stranger is entertaining Christ. Clothing the naked is to warm the body of Christ. Caring for the sick is to tend to our Savior's wounds. And visiting those in prison is to befriend him as well. In the final analysis, this is what matters. I have three observations about this text and its implications for our lives. First, notice how little the Son of Man seems to care about whether we're Gentiles or Jews, Protestants or Catholics, men or women, Republicans or Democrats, gay or straight. We spend so much time and energy quarreling over our theologies and beliefs fighting over who is in and who is out, and splitting into endless numbers of group identities. And yet, if Jesus is to be believed, and I think he probably is, the only question we will be asked when we approach the throne of judgment is this. So tell me, how did you treat the least among you? It is what we do for those in need that matters to Christ. This is not to say that what we believe and how we worship are irrelevant. Thinking clearly and coherently about who God is and who we are and adopting practices of worship that allow us to stay in right relationship with God and each other are helpful, but only insofar as these beliefs and practices support us in what we do with our lives. Our ultimate aim is to do God's work in the world, and right beliefs and right worship are a way of preparing our souls for the tasks God has given us to do. So if our actions are what matters, you Lutherans are wondering, does this mean that our works save us and not our faith? No. That conclusion does not follow from the premise. To say that our deeds matter is to say nothing of whence they come. And Jesus makes clear elsewhere, as does St. Paul, that our capacity for doing works of mercy, for caring for the other, for loving our neighbor, depends crucially and initially upon our faith in Christ upon letting him abide in our hearts so that we may become instruments of his grace. Remember the two great commandments. First, to love God with all our heart and mind and soul so that we might, second, 
love our neighbor as ourselves. The order matters. It is folly to think that we can earn our way into God's heart through our own efforts apart from first allowing Christ to work in and through us by faith. Point two. Notice what this text says about God and where he may be found. God is emphatically not some distant spirit, far removed from the experience of humanity, as we sometimes imagine him. In our lesson today, Jesus tells us as directly as he can that God is fully present in the struggles of human existence. If you want to see the face of God, you need to look no further than into the face of a neighbor in distress. For the living Christ is mysteriously there. When we gather in church as we are today, we devote much of our time to experiencing God's reality in word and sacrament. We believe rightly that God is present in scripture and so each Sunday we listen with care to lessons from the Bible, and that he is present in sacrament, and so after we hear the word, we gather around the table to share the bread and the wine. But in today's gospel, Jesus invites us to expand our sacramental theology by seeking him not only in word and sacrament, but also, and perhaps most especially, in the sorrows and pains and needs of our world. And plainly, the emphasis in our text today is that the ultimate point of being fed by word and sacrament in church is so that we will leave church to seek Christ's presence in the faces of all those people in this world who are hurting. This is why, my friends, the central symbol of our faith is neither the Bible, as important as it is, nor the Last Supper, as important as it is, but instead the cross. We place a cross at the center of our worship as a sacred reminder that God not only became human in Jesus, but that in Jesus' life and death, he shared fully in our hunger, our thirst, our estrangement, our nakedness, our sickness, our imprisonment, and ultimately in our suffering and in our death. The crucified Christ is and always must remain at the center of our faith so that we remember that the God we worship identifies most profoundly with the poor, the homeless, the hungry, the imprisoned, and with victims of violence. For in Jesus, God was all of these persons. And so, it is in persons such as these, the least among us, whom we will find Jesus still. The third and final point I want to make about today's text is that we should not run from the reality that in it, Jesus speaks of judgment. We've heard a lot of judgment from Matthew these past weeks. But here, quite plainly, 
Jesus is saying not only that our actions matter, but that what we do and fail to do has consequences for our future life with God. The notion that our actions matter and that someday we will be held accountable for our choices is a sobering reality. And it is sobering because, speaking for myself at least, I seem to act like a goat at least half of the time, maybe more. If that's so, how can we possibly hope, then, to be on the right side of the divide between the sheep and the goats, given our all-too-human propensity to stray from the path we know to be the right one? Now, if the parable of the sheep and the goats were the only words we had from Jesus, I'm quite certain that we would be in big, big trouble. But the task of faithful biblical interpretation is to read texts not in isolation, but always in relationship to one another and to the whole. And we would do well to remember that the Jesus who promises to judge us in today's gospel is the very same Jesus who elsewhere promises to chase down and protect every single lost sheep, who welcomes home with love and thanksgiving every contrite prodigal child, who called as his followers tax collectors and prostitutes, and whose very last act on the cross was to turn to a repentant thief and assure him of a place in paradise. In short, while we must take seriously these parables of judgment, like today's, we must also read them together with our narratives of mercy. So how do we reconcile these competing narratives, judgment and mercy? In the end, I'm not sure that we can, and I'm not even sure that we're called to reconcile them. The reality of our God is bigger and more mysterious than our frail human conceptual categories. Rather than trying to explain our God in some neat and tidy theology, our task instead, I think, is merely to follow him and to live in the tension, in the tension of these narratives betwixt the poles of judgment and mercy, or as Bonhoeffer was fond of saying, to live at the foot of the cross. On the one hand, we have every reason to trust in the promise of God's abundant mercy and forgiveness, to follow Christ without fear, and to hope and pray for the redemption of every lost soul, including our own. On the other hand, and at the same time, we must live our lives as if every choice matters, as if God is counting on us, as if our soul and the souls of all those who are called to serve hang in the balance. We are simultaneously both sinner and saint. We live each day in the quiet and sure conviction that God deeply loves the good we do, and that through the mystery of grace, he also makes straight everything in us that is crooked. Precisely how this happens, I have no idea. 
but we can forever be thankful that it happened and that it happened once and for all on the cross. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.